Let's think about the long game. Charge what you want the performer three years from now who's entering the market after you're established, what you want them to be charging. Right. And, and when I think about it that way, it's almost like you're paying it forward. You know, mm. you're not just like helping yourself get a, get a job or get a gig right now. You're helping the person, the next generation so that they can make a, a living and be sustainable doing this too. Being a circus boss is all about being confident on and off stage. It's about you living more of those powerful moments when time stands still and your audience is captivated and connected and everything feels right in the world. Welcome to the Circus Boss Podcast. This is the space where we talk about all things business and marketing related to circus so you can make those big dreams happen. We're your co-hosts, Brock and Eileen, and we help circus performers and producers manage your business with ease so you can spend more time on the flying trapeze. So if you're a circus boss that's ready for more, hit subscribe and join us every week. Your audience awaits. So in today's episode, we have a real fun, exciting, sexy topic for our first episode ever. We're talking about how to avoid undercutting if you're doing gig work or entertainment at events. And this podcast is for you if you're a performer that is new to setting your own rates, or if you're an experienced performer and you want to help mentor or advise someone else who's new on how to find a rate that respects the market. Right, because we're all in this together. Absolutely. But I just want to say, like, this isn't just circus that people talk about undercutting, right? Because mm-hmm. you're a DJ and you're in all these DJ forums. And like, how many times a week do you see this come up? Oh, this comes up probably daily. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, you know, undercutting is a thing and people get really, um, there's a lot of emotions around it. There's anger, there's fear, there's people feel threatened, there's there's a lot. So I think that's why it comes up so often. And I just want you to know that it's not just circus. And we've had a lot of performers reach out to us recently, new performers that are saying, I'm new to this, and I don't want to undercut. And so I really see that care and that attention and diligence. And I appreciate that. And that's why I want to support this. That's why we're doing this episode is to support you, those people that do care and that do want to pay attention and do that due diligence because there's so many things in this world that divide us. Let's not let pricing be one of them, please. Mm -hmm. Right? So we really want to open up this conversation in as many places as we can. Feel free to share your thoughts on our Instagram, find us on Facebook. Let's just keep this conversation going because the concept of undercutting is something that seeks to divide us. And I really want to help us Use this energy to unite us and not divide us. And, you know, for me, I imagine that when most people get into circus, like they're not thinking about, you know, being divisive, being competitive in that way. So I think that this mindset shift is really important because it kind of gets us back to the spirit of why we do what we do. Oh, I love that so much. Absolutely. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about a bunch of different topics related to how to avoid undercutting. We're going to talk about mindsets and beliefs that lead to undercutting. 
we're going to talk about how you can understand the business landscape, the playing field of gig work, and why that's important. We're going to talk about three different areas that you can focus on to set your rates. And we're going to talk about how to enter the market respectfully. And be sure to stay till the end because we have two great strategies to apply to your pricing when you're first starting out. So I'm a big believer in starting with mindset and beliefs first because that kind of shapes the tone for everything. So that's where we're going to start today. And what we're going to do is just talk about some different scenarios, some different beliefs and things that we've heard performers say, and then just address those a little to talk about whether that's true or not, where those mindsets and beliefs come from, and maybe hopefully shift your thinking a little bit. One that we often hear from performers is that maybe you're worried if you set your price too high, you won't get enough work. Oh, I've heard this one so much. And... There's probably been times that I've felt that way. What I want to say to this is, let me just restate it again. If you're worried that if you set your price too high, you're not going to get enough work. I just want to say, is that true? Like, do you know that to be true? Have you tested it out? Have you actually charged that price that you feel is too high? And did you not get enough work? Because you can't really know if that's true until you test it out. And then also, have you connected with others in your market? Because maybe they are charging that price that you think in your mind is too high and they're getting work. So that's evidence that people will pay that price. So this might just be a limiting belief. So if you are thinking that and you are concerned about that, I just want to invite you to question that and see if that's serving you or if that's holding you back. Right. And I think this is also where this concept of like coming together can be really helpful for this one, because I think a lot of times we have this fear or this worry if we're kind of off in our own little silo and our own little uh, our own little corner of the world. And we don't know what other people are doing and we're afraid to reach out. And then I want to talk about a different belief or a different mindset we've also heard come up. And this one is, you know, maybe if you're a new performer and I've actually heard people say this, I don't want to undercut anyone, but I feel that I shouldn't be charging as much as someone that's more experienced. Mm. Oh, yeah. I've definitely heard that one. Yeah. And kind of a different way of saying this, but but also very similar is is maybe you're a performer and you haven't established yourself yet. So you feel like you can't justify a higher price. Okay, so I want to say yes, but instead of yes, and I'm going to say yes, but because this is subjective. So yes, someone with more experience or more skill level could be charging a higher rate, but it doesn't stop there because look, circus in general is a specialty skill that takes years to develop. And I imagine you've had to pay quite a lot to get that skill to a professional level. And you probably have to train on a regular basis to stay at a professional level. So even if you are new, just know that you have skills that the average person on the street does not have. And there is value in that. So instead of comparing yourself to a more experienced performer, let's look at the other side. What you are doing can have more risk or bring higher visibility or contribute to the wow factor more than other elements that are at an event. Comparing yourself to 
the pricing of these other vendors and the other elements of an event is a good place to start because you should be charging the same or more than them. But there's also a bigger part of this picture because if you are a newer performer, there needs to be a level of self-assessment or you can ask a trusted advisor or a coach to help you with this. But you want to be able to assess your skill level and your stage presence, your presentation and the production value of what you offer because knowing these elements will help you get clear on what market or what type of event is a good fit for you because your rates will be different based on this market. So if you're comparing yourself to a more experienced performer, they might be working in a different market. And that is a valid reason that they should be charging more. So figuring out where you fit in the market is also part of the rates, whether or not you're experienced or not experienced, just being in a different market will guide you to having different rates. So there's a lot of variables here, but I just want to go back to this concept that you haven't established yourself or that you're a new performer so you can't justify higher prices. That's not always true. Remember, you do have more skills than the person on the street. So the self-assessment is where it's going to help you understand where you fit in the market and knowing your value, we're going to talk about a little bit later, that's also going to help you understand. So don't be too focused on comparing yourself to a more experienced performer, I think is my point here. Exactly. I mean, it's not always apples to apples and you gave so many good reasons and examples why just comparing yourself in that way may not work. And it usually doesn't. Everybody's different. All right, let's uh, let's talk about another belief here. I've and I've heard people comment on this too, and I've heard DJs comment on this too. They say, "This is not my full time job. I have a day job, and this is just for fun." Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or they might say that this is my art form, and I don't need to make money doing this. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here, and you're you know. You're not wrong in having those thoughts, but I just want to say that if you are having that thought, if that is part of your story, the reality is that you exist in an ecosystem and part of that ecosystem is that there are performers that are doing this for their full-time income. So you do want to make sure that you're respecting those performers And maybe someday you might want to do this full time. So there are long term effects of how much you charge. Even if you don't need to make this for you, understanding what others are charging in the market is just respect. And if you think about it, if if everyone entering the market charges a lower rate, then that can start to become a standard. Because when somebody's making an event budget, the first place they look is their budget from last year. That's so true. Right. So maybe you start out and you're like, oh, you know, I don't really I'm just doing this for funsies and I'll do it for whatever. And then by next year, you've decided, oh, no, you know, I gosh, I really need to do a charge a higher rate. So they're not going to hire you because they've already budgeted for the lower rate that you charge. Well, they're going to go find another new performer. And it just like is this repetitive cycle. And so, like, let's think about the long game. Charge what you want the performer three years from now who's entering the market after you're established what you want them to be charging. 
Right. And, and when I think about it that way, it's almost like you're paying it forward. You mm. know, you're not just like helping yourself get a get a job or get a gig right now. You're helping the person, the next generation, so that they can make a living and be sustainable doing this too. Yeah. So you're supporting those that are currently in the market and you're supporting the future of the industry. Ooh, I love that. That's really juicy. Mm. Mm. Good Ooh. stuff here, guys. Good stuff. That's a good one. Okay, we're going to hit on another one. Ooh, yes, we've seen this come up a lot too. No one in the area is providing what I provide and clients don't know the value. Oh, okay. Well, this is actually a good position to be in. I know it can feel lonely, but if this is you, you get to be a leader and a trendsetter because you can establish respectable rates in your area. The hard part about this might feel like, well, how do I communicate the value, right? Because you're saying the clients don't know the value. Well, here's a tip. Like think about referring to what people do know. So if you want to go like on an international level, depending on where you're based, you you might say, oh, well, you know, Cirque du Soleil or Cirque du or, you know, just comparing to other circus that they know and say, hey, you can get that, you know, that experience you can have that right here in this town. So that's value, right? And then also you want to highlight any national recognition you have because everybody thinks the out of towner is more, you know, has higher value than the the local person, mm -hmm. the, like the local yokel, right? So if you can do national competitions or get national or international awards or be a part of a touring show, you can highlight that national recognition to give more credibility to the local people where you live. They will see you with higher esteem because of other people's higher esteem. Like the basically if people outside of where you live value you, that makes the people where you live value you more. It doesn't make sense, but that's how it works. So that's another tip. But um, I think that's actually a great position to be in. I've been in that similar situation a couple times in my life. Kudos to you. You get to be a leader and a trendsetter. Yeah. And I think that's just you, when you're in that position, you're you're in a place where you can really stand out. So all the points that you hit on are all about making yourself stand out. Okay, so those are just a few of the mindsets and beliefs that we've come across lately that we wanted to address here just to get the conversation started. But the point here is that your skills are exceptional and above average. You've spent so much time and effort to get to where you are to be able to do what you do. And you just need to know that providing live entertainment raises the experience of every event. So try not to just focus on yourself because that's where those doubts and those mindsets and beliefs that start to limit you might creep in. Remember that you exist in an ecosystem and we can all work together to make this sustainable for years to come. And if you are a leader in establishing sustainable rates in your area, then we salute you. Big high five. Mm -hmm. And you are doing a service to the community at large. I love that. All right. So now let's talk about the business landscape, the playing field, if you will, of doing event work. Because this is also an area where undercutting can happen just from a lack of understanding the roles, the players, and all of the ways that gig work happens. So I'll outline a few. You can perform for an entertainment production company that creates characters and choreographs acts, and you're showing up more as a, just the performer. And it's about being more of an ensemble 
where you are fulfilling someone else's vision and you're playing the role you're given. Or you can work for an agency where you have your own act and your own costume and they just book it for you. Now, everyone has their own definition of production company versus agency. There are a lot of ways that people do it and there are definitely hybrids. It's not always cut and dry. And there are also people who self-produce events or festivals and hire entertainment on their own as like a part of that festival, a part of that event. But the point being is that these all fall under the umbrella of performing for someone else. So you can choose to perform for someone else, or you can create your own entertainment offerings that you market and sell to clients or event planners, which means you are running your own business. Mm. Yeah. And one problem that we see is new performers don't always understand that there are all those roles and options out there. And so they start taking gig work as a way to gain performing experience. Yeah, so this is one that I talk about a lot if you've been following us on Instagram, but I want to talk about it now from your perspective as a new performer, because I know that a lot of entertainment companies might say that they want performers with two or more years of performing experience, but that doesn't mean go book events directly with clients by yourself for two years at a low rate to gain experience, because that can drive down the market. And honestly, what most companies are looking for is stage experience and stage presence. So I really recommend performing for others first because it's hard to learn the trade of performing while also learning how to be a business owner. Oh, that's so true. Right. And I don't think people view it that way. They're just like, oh, I'm going to take this gig. And before you know it, you're running a business and you have taxes and all this responsibility. But This is one of the areas that we see unintentional undercharging happening the most because a new performer might not understand the bigger picture yet. So what can you do? You can try looking for other companies that might be working in different markets, the, the, you know, like um, less pressure, lower stakes environment, and they might be accepting newer performers. Or you can also see if you can volunteer or apprentice or understudy with a company to get a sense of what they look for in a performer. And then be active in finding performing opportunities outside of gig work so you can start to build up that experience. Look at local circus schools and studios for, you know, staff shows or student shows Look at local circus troops that might be doing auditions or gathering people together for shows. Maybe there's family shows or theater companies or collaborating with dance companies. You can also try auditioning for the opera. They take a lot of skilled performers and pay really well. Um, And then you can also just gather a group of performers and produce a show together or try street performing. There are so many places where you can gain that performing experience before you have to also be a business owner. So I recommend just focus on getting that performing experience as the first step. Right. As people get plugged into the community and start to perform more, then they start to know that landscape better. And that puts you in a position where you can decide which opportunities you want to pursue And maybe you'll find that all you want to do is the performing part anyways. 
and that working with a company or an agent is a better fit for you. We certainly had a lot of performers that worked with us that would say that. I love working with you because I don't All have, I have to, to do... do is show up and perform. Yeah, I don't have to do the contracts or client negotiations. You know, there's a lot more to it than just performing. But what about the people out there that are ready? They're like, okay, I've got the performing experience and now I'm at the point where I do want to figure out my own rates. Right. So if you do decide that you want to book your own gigs, then the next step to avoid undercutting is to figure out your own rates. And we have a whole course called the Circus Freelancer Gig Pay Guide that walks you through the steps to find confidence with your rates. And we use what we call the pricing trifecta of know your numbers, know your market, and know your value. So Eileen's going to break down how each of these areas are related to undercutting. So maybe start us off with know your numbers. Yes, absolutely. So the first part of knowing your numbers is figuring out how many events you can work per year to achieve your ideal annual revenue. But when you're new, you might not know how many events you can work per year because you don't know what's realistic, like how long the events take, um, how much physical strain it puts on your body, or the ebb and flow or seasonal nature of events in your service area. So you might estimate, oh, I can work this high number of events, and that can throw your math off. So you might not get the right number. The next area that we look at for knowing your numbers is calculating how many hours go into each gig. And you might not know this yet until you've been booking events for maybe at least a year because every event is different. So it's about looking back at the averages. And then the most important part about knowing your numbers is making sure that your rates include things like profit and taxes and your personal take-home pay to pay your private bills, right? Your personal bills. And then your operating expenses for your business. So like your costumes and your equipment and your makeup and your marketing and all of those things. So it's hard to know all of these costs that are going to come up. Did I mention insurance yet? I think we all know that performers need insurance. Right. I'm, I'm hoping that we all know that one yet, at least. Uh, that's on every single forum all the time. Anyways, if you're new, it's hard to know your costs. So it's easy to underestimate your price as part of knowing your numbers. That's so true. And I think this is one of the hardest parts because it's hard to know what you don't know. Right. Next up, you've got to know your market. And this, this takes some time to figure out as well. It really does. And your market can change over over the years. You might be like, yeah, I'm tired of doing that. I don't need to do that anymore. I'll, I'll focus on this other type of work. But um, so we, we did kind of touch briefly on this before, but you'll want to assess what level of gig work you are ready for and what type of work do you want to be doing? Like what is exciting and interesting to you? You know, you don't want to do work that is boring. Like, do you like informal and fun and personal and up close interactions with people? Or do you like a more formal environment with like high production value and providing a high level, high touch client service and attention? Because there are different prices for different markets and most importantly, different expectations. So you want to be sure that you're honest and excited about the type of work that you're aiming to do. 
And then once you've gotten clear on the market that you want to work in, then it's time to start building relationships with other performers that are serving the market and start to have conversations about rates. You want to respect what they have built. And most of them would be happy to have that conversation with you. Because again, another main reason that performers undercharge is simply not knowing what the market rates are in their area. Exactly. The the marketing part of this and understanding the market, it can be it's so complex at times, but it's really worth it's worth it to you to spend time thinking about what you want to do, the types of events you want to do, what market you want to work for because that really just sets the tone for everything else that follows in business. Well, and you mentioned this the other day. The other part about market is it's hard to even know what type of opportunities exist. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we do what our friends do because that's what we see and that's what we know about. And like, there's a lot of things out there that happen that exist that you might not even know are a thing. Spending some time to do some research and talk to as many performers as you can and just like survey the field, you know, like learn what the market encompasses before you start to dive into something. And that just makes me think about what you always say, that there are a lot of ways to circus. So just because you see what your friends do, like Eileen said, there's definitely a lot more out there. All right. And then our last point in the trifecta is know your value. Yes. And this is one of my favorites. So I might get a little passionate here when I talk about it because Knowing your value is all about knowing how you are unique and understanding the value that you bring to an event. We talked about it earlier in comparison to another performer, right? Or to other vendors or to someone off the street. But let's take a moment here to talk about you. Because the best way to figure out your value is to take a stroll down memory lane So you can like look at your resume or your CV, look at all the training and performing and experiences that you have had that have created the performer that you are today, right at this very moment. But then also look outside of circus for a minute because you have other skills and life experiences and other jobs and travel and like so many things that make you you. So if you think about like what big decisions or changes in your life have led you to where you are right now. And if you take some time to do this, I bet there's a lot of value that you are just overlooking. So as a new performer, it's common to think that your value might be lower because you're just starting out. But if you really spend time reflecting on this, there's a lot that makes you you. And when you start to uncover and learn to talk about the unique perspective and life experiences that only you have, you bring that all to the table as a performer. And when you can do this, I think you'll start to see more value in what you are offering and feel proud to have a rate that reflects you. Oh, that's so powerful. That reminds me of the Martha Graham quote. How does it go? Oh, see, now I want to go look it up because I can't misquote Miss Martha Graham. Yeah. Okay. So we just paused it and I had to go look it up because there's no way I could have this whole thing memorized. But best quote of all time by Martha Graham. There is a vitality, a life force, a quickening that is translated through you 
into action. And there is only one of you in all time. This expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will not have it. So it is not your business to determine how good it is, nor how it compares with other expression. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly to keep the channel open. You do not even have to believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep open and aware directly to the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. No artist is pleased. There is no satisfaction whatever at any time. There is only a queer divine dissatisfaction, a blessed unrest that keeps us marching and makes us more alive than the others. So how's that for thinking about your unique value? Ooh, I love that. You know, and that's so true, right? And that's the thing that new performers will start to understand is, you know, we've just talked about know your numbers, know your market, know your value, but you, it's not like you just do that once. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, it is a, a whole journey that you go on and you will reach a point where you feel fine and you feel happy and then you will become dissatisfied like Miss mm-hmm. Martha Graham just mentioned and you'll work on it all over again. And that's OK. That's part of that's part of the journey. And sometimes you can go through that whole cycle in one day. <laughs> yes. Been there, done that. OK, so we're about to move on to the next topic which is how to enter the market in a way that avoids undercutting other performers. But first, I want to mention that the concepts of know your numbers, know your market, and know your value are all part of the system that we use to help you find confidence with your rates. So if you are revamping your rates or setting them for the first time, we invite you to check out the Circus Freelancer Gig Pay Guide at circusboss.com slash guide. And so... I think we've arrived. I think we can start talking about how to enter the market. I I think everyone's ready for that now, right? Right, because we've talked about different mindsets and beliefs that can lead to undercutting. And we've talked about understanding the landscape of event entertainment and the different roles that exist. We've also talked about figuring out your own rights. So yes, I think we're ready now to talk about how to enter the market if you're new to gig work. All right, so first up, introduce yourself. Just make it a point to research and meet all the other performers in your area. And we like to use the word colleague instead of competition because you're there to work together, not to try to take away work from anyone. So please don't be shy and just introduce yourself. Get to know everyone when you're first coming into the market. Yeah. And there's a great story about the word market I heard recently, which I think is really applicable here. So if you think about the word market in the traditional sense, every town had a market and all the local farmers and vendors would go to market to sell their products. And because they were neighbors and they knew each other, they would also tell stories and check in with each other, maybe talk about the weather. Just imagine your local farmer's market and what it's like to see all the produce and meat stands, the food trucks, All the local people selling their crafts. Those farmers and vendors are there to support each other to sustain the market because that's often a big part of their livelihood. 
And you can think of your relationships with other performers that way too. Oh, I love that. Because like, you know, if I'm in a little stall at a farmer's market, I'm totally going to be friends with the person next to me and on the other side and across the way. We're going to take like our coffee breaks together. We're going to be commiserating as we're setting up the farmer's market in the morning and, you know, commiserating at the end of a long day, breaking it all down and then maybe having a beer at the pub together. So I love that analogy of just viewing all the other people in the market as like physically at a farmer's market together. That's like, that's such a great way to look at that word. I love it. And honestly, a farmer's market sounds so good right now because it's been ages since I've been to one because the whole, you know, pandemic. That's true. So we've made it to the the end. And here are those two strategies that you can apply to your pricing right now, uh, or at least when you're entering the market. So here's the thing. I learned this when I went to massage school years ago. Some, you know, experienced massage therapists taught us as newbies entering the market don't just charge a lower rate. Charge a rate that respects the market and then you can offer introductory rates. So you can say something like, here's my rate and then first time clients get 20% off. So this will help you set a standard so that the next time they want to hire you, they know that it's going to cost more. They've seen what that total, what that amount is. So let's say your rate is $1,000 and first time clients get 20% off. Well, okay, this first time it's that introductory rate. They get to see if they like you and I'm sure you're going to live up to the value that you are going to deliver. I'm just, I just, I'm confident in you that you're going to, and they're going to love you. Now they know next time they want to hire you, they'll put that a thousand dollars in the budget. So that the introductory rate offering that those first time clients get a discount. Mm, I love that. Right. And so it's, it's setting the standard. Because if they don't hire you next time and they hire another performer that does a different skill that you don't provide, then they already know, oh, this is what I should expect for this type of performer. Exactly. And so another pricing strategy that you can do is, again, start with here is what my rate is. And if somebody is like, oh, do you offer any discounts? I can't afford this. Well, stop and see. Do they have something? Can you get something out of this event that can, that can help you in building your business? And if so, then I think it's completely fair to offer a discount. But they've seen the price, so they know what it would be next time they hire you, and you're offering a discount. But I want to talk about how to frame this discount. It's not just a discount because they asked for it, right? Because you're right. going to get asked for discounts all the time. All the time. The, your entire career, it never goes away. I can just tell you that no matter how experienced you are, no matter how professional you are, no matter how many awards you have won, no matter how international you are, people will still ask for discounts. So don't take it personal. People are just trying to save a buck. But when you are starting out or even in mid-career, if there are things that you need for your business... You can offer a discount in exchange for things, but let's talk about getting clear. Let's say you're new and you need some more photographs and videos. And uh, so you can ask like, oh, are they hiring a professional photographer? Can you get a video? Are they hiring a professional videographer? Can you get a video of your performance? Can you get photos of your performance? Something that we've done before is can you ask your client to give you a video testimonial? talking about the experience of working with you and the value that you brought to your event because that has value for your new business. So that is worth a discount. And also, you know, can you use their event to create a case study to put on your website? So this is like, it would fall into like marketing materials. So you're going to get some marketing value out of this event, mm -hmm. right? But you want to be clear about this if you're going to do it. 
right? You want to have this all spelled out in your contract. And I would recommend talking or emailing with the photographer and videographer just to make sure the client is not promising something that they're not going to agree with because all photographers and videographers have different licenses and use agreements and arrangements. And you just want to make sure that that client is not just promising something to get a discount. And then also you want to confirm that taking shots of you and capturing footage of you actually makes it onto the shot list so that they'll capture you. They're not like, oh, I was in the other room when you were doing your act. I was taking my dinner break or something, right? You want to make sure that actually happens. It gets on their shot list and that you will get digital images and video footage after the event. And if you're doing the video testimonial, do it at the event. Don't wait till right. later because you'll never f- catch up with them again. I, we even did this before the event happened. One time, you know, because it was like they didn't want to do it at the very end. Like, let's just do it. We did it right before the event because they had the whole time of working with us. And I mean, this was a very, very elaborate event. So maybe you wait until you've performed. So they actually have something to talk about. But they could also talk about the process of working with you and and the client service, the stellar client service that you're offering. Right. And I think that a really good point for this, too, is if this comes up and it's something that you decide or you're thinking about, you need to think about if this is the kind of event that you want to highlight. Mm. So mm. the the photos and the video that you're going to get from that event need to be something that you can use to help you get more work. So make sure if you decide to do this, it's the kind of event work or the kind of opportunity that you want to continue to do. That is such a good point. Does it reflect your target market? Right, because... Yep. If you, if you had a wedding couple come to you and say, oh, we love you, we want you to perform, but, you know, can you give us a discount, but you don't really do wedding work, then right. there's not really an incentive for you to give a discount for work that is not the kind of work that you want to do. So that's just my two cents to keep that in mind, too. Good point. So we made it. We made it all the way to the end. These are all of the thoughts that we wanted to share with you on ways to avoid undercutting. And don't forget, we do have another episode coming out next week that's going to be about if you're on the other side of this and if you're feeling the threat or the concern of someone else that is undercutting, how do you handle it? So there's more talk about undercutting coming next week. But just to wrap up what we talked about today... We talked about limiting beliefs that might lead to undercharging. We talked about how not understanding the business landscape and taking low paying gigs to gain experience could lead to undercharging. We've talked about knowing your numbers, your market and your value and how those are all a part of setting your rates. And we just shared those two tips uh, to apply to your pricing strategies when you're first starting out. And if you're hesitant about connecting with other performers in your market, Just remember Brock's farmer's market analogy because we're all in this together. That's so true. We're all in this together. That's right. So uh, just remember, if you are working on setting your rates, maybe you're revamping them or even setting them for the first time, be sure to check out circusboss.com slash gig pay guide. It'll be in the show notes. Um, And if you like what we're throwing down, be sure to subscribe to the Circus Boss podcast and share it with all of your circus friends. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next time.